Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it. From whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one, according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. We come here to the end of time. Truly, it's the end of time. The heavens are melted away. The earth, matter, it's all done away with. And it makes sense because we're going to be here looking at the great white throne judgment. And to think of billions of people being judged for all of their life's work. Again, maybe you like watching C-SPAN, but for others, right, it might be a little boring. might be a little boring to watch. Imagine billions of people being judged for their entire life's work. So it makes sense that at this point, time is done away with. Heavens are done away with. Earth is done away with. All matter is done away with. Time-space continuum, uh, DeLoreans, whatever your time uh, travel vehicle of choice, right? It's done away with. All of that is dead and gone. And now all of humanity will be judged. This all starts off in verse 7, when the thousand years have expired. Satan is released from prison. After a thousand years of the rule and reign of Jesus Christ, Satan will be free to move about the country, if you would, right? Be free to move about and do as he wishes. A thousand years of the earth being free from deception. A thousand years of the earth being free from sin and evil and war and crime and evil politics, evil government. A thousand years of the Garden of Eden, Satan will finally be released. And we see that he's able to gather together an army whose number is as the sand of the sea. And some of us would say, come on, God, why would you allow this? No duh, he'd go out and go back there and cause this rebellion. And one of the reasons why God reveals this is, number one, to show us that Satan to his core is evil and sinful and prideful trying to fight against God. There are some people in their doctrine, they think Satan at the end of the age, he gets saved, everybody gets saved. In the end, love wins and everybody's happily ever after in heaven. It's not necessarily what we see here in Revelation 20. 
This also reveals to us that mankind is not innately good. As human beings, we are not good. We are evil and sinful to our core. And this will completely free mankind from having any type of excuse for our sins and for our evil. We are not innately good. We are innately evil and sinful. And apart from Jesus Christ, there is no good within us. Before we come to him and after we come to him. There is no good in us. It all comes from Jesus Christ. In Psalm 51 verse 5, David says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. This is the man after God's own heart. And he says, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Again, there's no sinless perfection and the lies of so many of these false doctrines and false churches. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20 says that there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. Right? Should we just follow our heart and do whatever our heart desires? No. I'll answer that for you. The answer is no, right? No. Jeremiah 17 verse 9, even if you have a cute hashtag or cute, cute picture right on your house, tells us the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Again, our heart to its core is deceitful and desperately wicked. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Galatians 3 verse 22 tells us that scripture has confined all under sin. That the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Again, we've all sinned. And 1 John 1.8 tells us is that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. However, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Again, we are sinful to our core. And any man that says that they are not a sinner, any man that says that they are a good man, has no part in the kingdom of heaven. No part in the kingdom of God. And at the end of these thousand years, when mankind turns in rebellion against God and against our perfect King Jesus, it will put the sinfulness of humanity out on display for all to see. You see, if we're honest, we are all professionals at shifting the blame, right? I don't know about you, but I'm pretty good at it, right? Get in any type of argument with my wife, there's no way it could be my fault, right? It, it can't be me. It has to be her. We are so good at it. You see two kids. They get in trouble. Whose fault is it? Right? They both point the finger at the person next to them. Since Adam and Eve. Since Adam blamed Eve. Then Eve blames the serpent. We are professionals at shifting the blame. You see, there will be no more room to say, I am this way because of my family. I am this way because of my upbringing. I am this way because of my financial status. Again, the lies of the world around us thinking that truth is relative depending on someone's story is an absolute lie. We shift the blame. 
It's because I had too much money. I didn't have enough. It's because I had one parent. It's because I had two parents. It's because I had no parents. No, we are sinners to our core. And we need to realize that and then ask for God's mercy in and through the death and blood and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Again, a thousand years of no Satan. A thousand years of no war. A thousand years of no violence and no crime. A thousand years of no shark attacks, right? A thousand years of no dog bites. The animal kingdom is perfect. Little babies playing with cobras, right? Crazy to think about. And yet mankind will still rebel against God. As many as sand on the sea. In verse 9, it tells us they went up on the breath of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. So we see here they surround the city of Jerusalem. They surround the capital city of Jesus Christ, that divinic covenant, that promise that God makes to David, that there'll be a king ruling and reigning from his lineage for all of time. Jesus is there ruling in Jerusalem. Satan gathers this army, the enemies of God all gather together, but it's, it's not much of a battle. Not that much of a climactic ending, right? Simply put, fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them completely. Then in verse 10, the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Right now the devil, Satan, the accuser of the brethren, the liar, the deceiver will be thrown into the lake of fire. The same location where his two buddies were thrown into a thousand years earlier. You see in Revelation 19 verse 20, a page to your left or there in the left of your Bible, Revelation 19, verse 20 says, Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast, and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. So this is a thousand years earlier. This is before Jesus begins his thousand-year millennial reign here on earth. And yet, here in Revelation 20, verse 10 tells us that the beast and the false prophet, they are still there. What this reveals to us is the reality of hell being an eternal consequence. Again, there's so many lies out there today. Some people say, okay, if you're saved, you'll go to heaven. If you're not saved, you'll die. You'll go through a little bit of torment, and then you'll just simply cease to exist. Your soul will burn up in hell, and then you'll just cease to exist, and that's it. That's not biblical. John Trapp calls it another hell in the midst of hell. That there's no break from this torture. There's no stopping this pain. And the weight and the reality of pain torture and punishment it's a lot to bear as human beings many of us we've gone through our fair share of pain or torture or punishment every mom here has gone through it right nine months of it right pain torture and punishment and lots of times the moms right you got to settle your wife down is this going to be forever no honey it's not going to be forever right just a few more months. But ladies, imagine if that was the rest of your existence with no baby at the other end there. 
Just pain and torture and punishment for the rest of eternity. It takes it to a whole nother level. It's not just a year of pain and torture or 10 years or 20 years or life in prison. It's forever and ever, day and night, there will be torment. The torment here takes no break. Your torturer doesn't get tired. It is for the rest of eternity. Here on earth, we can serve a certain sentence. We can apply for parole. We can make a plea deal. There's no such thing in hell. We make that deal today when we humble ourselves and cry out to God and say, Jesus, are you willing to take me? You saved me. You died for me. You took my sins. You took my wrath. Are you willing to take me? That's now, today, when we can make the plea deal to not have to experience this torment for all of eternity. John Walvoord, he says, forever and ever. There would be no way possible in the Greek language to state a more emphatic way of the everlasting punishment of the lost here in mentioning both day and night and the expression forever and ever. It is literally to the ages of ages. You see, friend, we are eternal beings. Every single one of us will live forever. It's not just legends that live forever. All of us, all of us live forever, right? All of us live forever. But we decide today where will we reside? Where will our home be? Will it be in hell and torment for all of eternity? Or will it be in heaven and life and that abundantly for all of eternity? Then in verse 11, right, scene change. John sees something different. He says, then I saw a great white throne. And him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. The great white throne. This speaks of the purity and holiness of the power of Jesus Christ. The status of our Savior, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. A great white throne. You see, for a thousand years and for all of eternity, he rules without a moment of injustice. There's not an ounce of hypocrisy. All of his rule, all of his reign is through love, kindness, fairness, and righteousness. A great wide throne. In 2 Peter chapter 3, we can turn there. A few pages to the left in your Bibles. 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter speaks of this. This great day, great day for some, fearful day for others. First, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10. He says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons are you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we... According to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. 
Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. Again, all of this earth, all of the heavens will melt away. Matter itself will be done away with. This judgment happens and then God will instate the new heavens and the new earth. When this judge appears upon his throne, earth and heaven begin to be rolled away, begin to melt away. And all of mankind will be judged by the very one who died for our sins, the one who has borne our griefs and carries our sorrows, the one who was smitten by God instead of you and instead of me will one day judge all of mankind. The one who was wounded for our transgressions, the one who was bruised for our iniquities will stand and judge each person moment by moment. Every second of their life will be judged by him. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and it's by his stripes we are healed. What will that moment be like? It says that from his face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. Right? Think, think to yourself, what will we have to say when we see Jesus face to face? What will you have to say? When you see the one, the face of the one seated upon that great white throne. What, what will we have to say? I think how do we respond when you haven't seen someone's face in a long time, right? When you haven't seen someone in a long time, how do you respond? I believe oftentimes it has to do with either how much we love that person or what was our last interaction like with that person, right? I think that changes the way we respond when we see that face again. For some people, it's that high school reunion, right? That 10-year reunion, 20-year reunion, 30-year reunion. Should I go to the reunion? I don't know. That's between you and the Lord, right? But I think you want to go depending on your last interactions there. Depending on your last interactions there and maybe now where you're at today. When someone owes you money, how do you respond when you see their face, right? Haven't seen them in a long time. That guy owes me money, right? How about when you owe them money, right? How do you respond when you see that face, see that person? The last time you were with them, that awkward moment, you put your foot in their, your mouth and now you see them again, right? And you're trying to hide. How about the love of your life when you haven't seen her in a while? You haven't seen her in a while, right? The, the different reactions we have. I was gone this weekend from the family. I couldn't wait to see my wife. Couldn't wait to see my kids. What will you be like when you see him face to face? What will this moment be like for you the face which will cause the earth and the heavens to flee away how will you respond when you see him there at the beginning of eternity take a moment pray lord help me help me to detach from this very moment help me to detach from miami at 11:50 and lord help me be in that moment in that place at the end of time when you will see Jesus face to face, what will your response be? What, will, what emotions come to mind? Is there peace there in your heart? The one you love, the one you long for, the one you've done so much for? Will there be shame? Will there be fear? Will there be timidity, right? The same face that was once despised and rejected by men. 
The face that we once, Isaiah 53.3 tells us, we hid our faces from him. We were ashamed of him and we turned our faces away from him. The very face who had his beard ripped out. The face that was filled with spit, with shame. And he didn't hide himself from it. Isaiah 50 verse 7 says it's the same face that set himself as a flint towards the cross because he knew he would not be ashamed. The same face that was marred more than any man, beaten beyond any human recognition, Isaiah 52, 14 tells us. That same face you and I will have to come face to face with. The same face, Mark 14, 65 tells us that some began to spit on him, some began to blindfold him, and some began to beat him saying, prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands, prophesy and tell us who hit you. That same face will judge all of mankind. And how will you and I respond? How will we respond? Charles Spurgeon says, Behold the terror of Christ's majesty. And what will you do in that day? You who did spit in his face. You who did despise him. What will you do in that day? Suppose the great judgment day had already come. Suppose that that great white throne was just over yonder and that when this service is over, you would have to appear before all the risen dead before your judge. How will you respond? One would say, I have refused him. How dare I look in his face? Another would cry, he drew me once to him. I felt the tugging of his love and the drawing of his spirit, but I resisted and would not yield. How can I meet him now? How can I look him in the face? Another would have to say, I had to strive hard to escape from the grasp of his hand of mercy. I stifled conscience and I went back into the world. You will all have to look into that face and that face will look at all of you. One will have to say, I gave up Christ for the world. Another will say, I gave him up for theater. I gave him up for dancing. I gave him up for the love of women. I gave him up for my business. And we will have to look at him in the face. You will all have to say this sooner or later. And that very soon, as surely as you see me upon this platform now, you will see the king upon the great white throne then that king who was once despised and rejected of men again friend what was your last interaction with Jesus like what will your interaction be when you see him face to face that man who was once beaten bruised despised mocked and rejected by men how will we respond and today there are those that still spit in his face Today there are those that attend church. I'm sure some of us hear that we're spitting on his face. We are rejecting him today. We're saying these are my idols. This is my life. You can't touch this. How will we respond when we see him face to face? All of humanity will one day be judged by him. All of those who thought nothing of his great sacrifice. All of those who said he was made up. He was just a crutch for some. He was just false religion for others. All of those will have to stand before him, be judged, and receive their eternal sentencing. In John chapter 5, verse 22, Jesus says, The Father judges no one, 
but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment. You see, friend, I I beg of you, I I plead with you, if you're not sure what that moment will be like for you, you can cry out to him today. You can cry out to him right now because he who hears the words of Christ and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and will not have to go through this great white throne judgment. This judgment is just for the dead, those who died separate of a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's who this judgment is for. We're going to see in a moment, hey, we have our own judgment too. We have our own sentencing. We have our own rewards or lack thereof as well. But their first great judgment, the first question is, are you found in Jesus Christ? Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? It's not going to be, are you a Calvary Chapelite? How often did you attend Calvary Chapel Miami? The question is not going to be, did you serve in kids ministry or in parking lot or not? The question is not going to be who you voted for, what you spend your money on. The question will be, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? That's a great question for us today. He's not just an insurance policy. There are many people that look to Jesus Christ and the Bible simply as an insurance policy. Hey, if hell exists, at least I got, I paid for this insurance, right? I paid my deductible. I won't have to go through hell. It doesn't work that way. It's his disciples, For us to understand that more today, it's his apprentices, right? Are you in an apprenticeship with Jesus Christ? Are you following him? Are you seeing how he works? And then you're trying to mimic him and do the same thing. Are you trying to listen to him? Are you trying to pay attention to him? And then are you trying to act like him on your own? Do you have that desire, that that hunger for your master to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You're learning. You're beginning to act like me. You're beginning to love like me. Because if you spend no time with Jesus, such a warning to us. Those who will say, Lord, Lord, did we not do these things in your name? We served you. We've done miracles for you. We've done all this in your name. And Jesus will respond to them, depart from me for I, have, I don't know you. I've never known you. You were never in an apprenticeship with me. You just wanted me as insurance. You just wanted to use me. You just wanted to use me to give you a white picket fence and the perfect family and the perfect home, but you wanted nothing to do with the relationship with me. What a warning to us. And there's going to be no hiding, no fleeing from the judgment to come. It tells us right here, there was found no place for them to hide. Again, I love kids so much. Sometimes when you want to hide, when they want to hide, right? How do they hide from their parents oftentimes when they're little? Right? If I can't see you, you can't see me, right? We're we're all good here. That's not going to work out. There's going to be no place to hide. For every single human being, all roads will lead to an appointment with Jesus Christ. All roads will lead to an appointment with Jesus Christ. Will that bring us joy and gladness? Or will that bring us shame and fear within our heart? Again, we choose today where that road leads, whether it leads to life and life everlasting, or if that road leads to death and that everlasting. The bride of Christ will not go through the great white throne judgment because we will be judged based upon the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. 
If we're here today and we say by faith in Jesus Christ, by the grace of God alone, it's only because of his goodness, I get to go to heaven. I'm going to be right with him. We don't have to go through the great white throne judgment. We sung it earlier today, that song, Before the Throne of God Above. One stanza says, Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. This is where salvation is at. It's not in church attendance or or any other thing. In our works or our righteousness. Salvation is found in God looking upon Jesus Christ and his wrath upon sinless perfection. And saying, all right, that's, that's Zach's wrath. That's the wrath that was due to Zach and his sins. Colossians 3.3 tells us, For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 1 John 2.2 tells us that he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Again, Jesus did not just die for the elect. He died for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 4.10, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Romans chapter 3 verse 23, we read this earlier, it says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the bad news. What's the good news? Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where's your faith, friend? Where's your faith? That big word there, right? Propitiation, our SAT word of the day, right? Propitiation. What does that mean? It's it's something that brings us back into favor and goodwill with someone else. And Jesus is the only one who will bring us back into favor and goodwill with God the Father. It's only Him. And that's why salvation is found in Christ and Christ alone. There are some people here that think they're going to go to heaven because their spouse is going to be the propitiation to bring them back into favor and goodwill with God. You see, my wife was so holy. My husband is so holy, so God will let me be right with him. Wrong answer. There are some kids here today that think their parents are the reason why God will bring them back into favor and goodwill. That even though they're sinners because their parents were good people, their parents were saved, that somehow God will bring them back into favor and goodwill with him. Again, that's wrong as well. It's only in and through faith and relationship with Jesus Christ. Being in that apprenticeship with him. If that's us, then you don't have to go through the great white throne judgment. However, we will be judged for many other things within this life. 2 Corinthians 5.10 tells us, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians 3, 
Again, Paul, he tells the church of Corinth, the Holy Spirit's telling us today, the foundation, the only foundation is Jesus Christ. How are we saved? Only in and through Jesus Christ. But if we're saved, we've been saved for good works. And now what are we adding to that foundation of Jesus Christ? 1 Corinthians 3. We'll start in verse 9. It says, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. And another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For there is no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Again, all of our life's work will one day be judged before the perfect, all-seeing vision of Jesus Christ. Our work and the intent behind our work, the thoughts behind our work, the heartbeat behind our work will all be judged. And again, it, it's, it's difficult. It's not difficult when you get an F on a book report that you put zero effort into, right? I know none of you know what that's like, but it just is what it is, right? You didn't do any work. You still got a 60. You don't know how you do zero work and you get a 60, but hey, it is what it is, right? It's a whole nother thing to think of yourself putting in hours and hours and days and weeks of sleepless nights to turn in this huge project. And receive a failing grade. How much worse the day that we meet Jesus Christ with all of our life's work before him. Again, what will that day be like for you? This is one of these scriptures where I can't understand how there will be no weeping there in heaven. Because my life, again, I've wasted a lot of time. Even today, so much of my life is wasted on my own pride, on vain things, on wasteful things. How much more? For the person that has wasted their whole life doing nothing for Christ. Again, only God knows. Romans chapter 2 verse 16 says, In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So our secrets will be judged. The intents of our heart, the intents of our mind, our motives, all of this, our work will be judged. And how will we respond in that great day? Again, many pastors mention it, right? Imagine if as each one of us comes into service this morning, our secrets appear on the projector for all to see, right? All of your browsing history, all of your life, all of your secrets appear. How would you feel? Just shameful. Man, now they all know I love that band so much. How shameful this is, right? They know I love boy bands. How shameful this is for me, right? 
Or will there be utter fear? Because you are a hypocrite. You live one life here in church and you're a completely separate person outside of this place. Will there be fear and torment because you've been lying to your spouse? You've been lying to your kids. You've been lying to your friends. What will that day be like? All of our secrets, all of our heart, our intent, our life's work will be judged. And again, take today to change, to cry out to God and say, Lord, forgive me. I spent all of my life screaming at a TV to politicians that never talked to me for a day in my life. <laughs> Lord, I wasted all my life away. Lord, I wasted all my life away screaming at my favorite football team and they never want, they don't even know my name. They don't know who I am, Lord. Lord, forgive me. I spent all my life gossiping and talking bad about other people, talking bad about the church. And Lord, what work do I have to throw back at your feet? Some people think, I think it makes sense, that gold, those gems that are there after our life's work, that'll be a part of those crowns that we get to throw back at the feet of our Savior. The only physical thing we'll be able to give back to him to reveal our gratitude and thanksgiving. What will that day be like for us? What are you doing in your apprenticeship with the one who has died for you, given his all for you? What will that day look like? Verse 12, and I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books Again, death is the great equalizer. In death, no one's talking about, hey, you know, when I was alive, you know how much money I used to make, right? There's no conversations like that. You know what kind of car I used to drive when I used to be alive? Right? There's no conversations like that. Both small and great, the most powerful and popular person and the absolute nobody that no one ever knew. If they're apart from Jesus Christ, all of them will be judged. Again, all the dead, they don't have their eternal bodies yet. They are brought here, given the eternal body, right before they stand before the judge and before all the books being opened. Again, notice their posture and the position of all the dead, both small and great. They are standing before God. There's no time here to give their side of the story. There's no time here for them to say, it's because of my parents, it's because of America, it's because of the home I came from, it's because of X, Y, or Z. There's no time for this. You see, many people think that God is like the manager of Starbucks or something like that, right? And they say, when I get to heaven, I got some things I'm going to talk to God about. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. All of the dead, if they're not in Jesus Christ, all of them will be brought back here to stand and receive their sentencing. Every defendant will be standing there awaiting the sentence for their crimes. They will be awaiting their eternal sentencing. The books will be open. So many different books here. Jesus tells us our every word will be judged. Every vain word, every empty word that we just threw out there. Every crash joke, every euphemism, every time we talk back behind somebody's back, every word will be judged. Again, our heart, our intention, all of it will be judged there. We just got back from a great weekend with some of the guys and they're giving marital advice. And some guys were warning, hey, your wife will remember things that happened three months ago that you've completely forgotten, right? She'll bring back some things. You remember three months ago when you did X, Y, or Z? Why did you do that, right? 
If you think your wife is bad, God is just going to be on a whole nother level here, right? <laughs> whole nother level. Whole nother level. Zach, you remember when you were nine years old? You remember when you were nine years old and you did that to that Sunday school teacher? Oh, Lord, forgive me, right? Forgive me, Lord. Right? Hey, you remember that youth camp when the Lord was drawing you to him and you hardened your heart? Remember that moment? You remember that Sunday afternoon on October 2nd that the Lord was trying to draw you unto him and you hardened your heart once again? Do you remember that moment? Again, all of humanity will stand there with all the books opened. That's why I believe there's no, at this point, time ceases to exist because there's this eternal sentencing happening here. And all of humanity, one by one, is standing before God. And all of their life's work will be brought to their eyes. Verse 13, the sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up. And the dead who were in them, and they were judged. Each one according to his works. Everyone that has ever died, not being that disciple, not being that apprentice of Jesus Christ, will be judged. When it speaks of the sea giving up the dead who were in it, in ancient times they believed that anything that fell into the sea, there's just no way to recover it. That if something would fall into the ocean, there's just no way. Again, in ancient times there's no scuba tanks, there's no snorkels or fins or anything like that. Even today we've explored more of space than we have our own oceans. And here what verse 13 tells us is everyone who has died apart from Jesus Christ, whether they died and they're buried in the ground, whether they died and they're buried in an apartment building right there on the cemetery grounds, whether they were eaten by a shark, whether they were burnt to a crisp and cremated, whether whatever happens to them, if they were donated to science, whoever has died apart from Jesus Christ will be brought before him and they will all be judged according to their works. And what a better way to reveal our apathy and hatred towards God than our actions. What reveals how apathetic we are towards God, the one who sent his only begotten son for us, and yet people spend their whole lives living for and sacrificing themselves for idols and gods that don't care about them. Just apathy towards God. How about hatred towards God? People loving them, people praying for them. Again, a hurricane hits, a crisis hits. Who are all the groups, all the organizations going to the carnage? Believers. That's, all, that's everyone going into the storm, going into the problems. That's who's going in there to help, to pray with people, to help people rebuild, to minister to others. People giving of their money. It's the church. It's the bride of Christ. It's the light, the truth, the pillar and ground of truth. And our apathy and our hatred towards God will be revealed by our actions and our works. And they will all receive their judgment. A.R. Faust said, he says, The body that sinned or served God shall in righteous retribution be the body that also shall suffer or be rewarded. Again, there's only two options. We are either in sin or we're serving God. There's no middle ground. Either we're serving God, we're that living sacrifice, as Romans 12 tells us. Living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Or we are in sin, we're not about our Father's business. And depending on how we've lived this life, we will either suffer or we'll be rewarded. 
Oftentimes Jesus says, right, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Here's your reward. You are faithful with one. Here's two. You are faithful with five. Here's ten. You are faithful with ten. Here's twenty. But to those who wasted their life away, Jesus, right, perfect love. We'll read a couple of red letters in our Bible later. He says, grab him and throw him into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse 14 and 15 says, Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You see, the final enemies of Christ and his church will be thrown into hell for all of eternity. Death itself thrown into hell for all of eternity. Then Hades This word in the Hebrew, which is Sheol, it's literally the place of the dead or the grave itself will be thrown into eternal hell. This holding place, if you would, for those who have died but are not in Jesus Christ, they're there in this place. There's still torment, there's still torture, but they're awaiting their eternal sentencing. This place will be thrown into the lake of fire for all of eternity. And can you imagine Take a step back and imagine having no more fear of death. No more fear of death. Take a step back and imagine no more fear of hell. No more fear of wicked men for the rest of eternity. Imagine that moment, right? How much peace will be there for us? No more death, no more hell, no more wickedness, no more Satan, no more lies, no more deception. Only peace with God. The thing is, this peace will only be for those whose names are written in the book of life. For everyone else, their fears will be realized every moment for the rest of eternity. Again, a great decision here for us. Is our name written in the book of life or are we not sure? Alfred, he says, as there is a second and higher life, so there is also a second and deeper death. And as after that life, there is no more death. So after that death, there is no more life. Again, it's for eternity. It's not just for a moment and then you just dissolve into nothing. It's it's for all of eternity, pain and torture and judgment. But we don't have to go there. Again, I think it was Joel saying this is the biggest regret that we don't have to go through. This is a judgment we don't have to go through. Everything is happening to cause us to not have to go through this. It's only through our pride and arrogance and hatred towards God, our love for money, our love for this world, our love for pleasure that keeps us from accepting this free gift of eternal life. John Trappi says, The devil and the damned have punishment without pity, misery without mercy, Sorrow without succor, that means sorrow with no relief, crying without comfort, mischief without measure, and torments without end and past imagination. Again, hell is a horrific place to be. Think of the worst place to be here on earth, and that's nothing in comparison to hell for all of eternity. But again, no one has to go there. God doesn't send anyone there. Mankind in their pride and arrogance and their hard heart, they choose each and every day to spend the rest of their life there. Let's turn to Matthew 25. 
Matthew 25, you, you see here in the New Testament, no one speaks of eternal hell more than Jesus Christ. There's no one who speaks about hell lasting for all of eternity more than Jesus Christ. Love itself is speaking here and warning people. That, that's why he loves us. He's warning us of what's to come if we don't make that decision to be his disciple, to make that decision to say, Jesus, you died in my place. You took my wrath, and from here on out, I want to live for you. He's warning us. Here in Matthew 25, if you have a red-letter Bible, you'll see these red letters here, these red words. It's, these are the words of Jesus Christ. Matthew 25, we'll start in verse 31. It says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Again, there, there's a lie coming after so many people that all of Christianity is about how Christians deal with unbelievers. And that's a big part of it, but it's a lie and manipulation tactic from the devil. Even Jesus tells his disciples, the poor you'll have with you always. What's your relationship like with me? And here Jesus says, did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. What is your relationship like with other Christians, with other believers? It's important for us to feed the poor. It's for us, important for us to give to the poor, to feed the hungry, to be there for the widow, to be there for the orphan. But how much more are we there for the poor, the widow, and the orphan of our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ? It's all over 1 John. Read 1 John. It's a quick read. It's all about do you love the Lord your God? Do you obey his commandments? And do you love the body of Christ? Do you, do you love being here at church? Do you love here being at church, not just to hear nice music, not just to hear an okay teaching, right? But to be with God's people. Is that what brings you joy? Or do you get here late on purpose and you leave before the last song because you don't want to deal with any people? That's not the right heart. We are to have a love for the body of Christ. And there, there's the lie going on. Hey, but if you're a Christian, what are you doing for the people outside? What are you doing for the poor, for the hungry, for the needy? How much more should we be reaching them? We should be reaching them. But our first purpose is to build up the church. 
That's our purpose for existing, is to build up, to equip and build up the church and other believers. Then after that, yes, we do all of these great things. But a warning to us, don't allow the enemy and the devil to cheat us and manipulate our minds. It's the same as Judas Iscariot when the woman comes and breaks the alabaster flask and she pours it over the feet of Jesus and she's worshiping him. Judas says, man, we should have taken that. We could have sold it and given the money to the poor instead of this woman wasting it worshiping Jesus. But there it gives us an insight into Judas's heart. He could care less about the poor and the sick and the needy. He wanted the money for himself. Again, stay focused on the Lord. Stay focused on the word and ask yourself, do you love the body of Christ? Because if you don't love the body of Christ, if you don't love fellowshipping with us, I don't know if you're going to like heaven or not. Because you're stuck with us for all of eternity there. This, the little picture of us singing, eating together, breaking bread together, right? Pictures at retreats, conferences, sleeping there in the same room with other Christians, hearing their glorious snoring and stuff like that, right? That's what heaven's going to be like. Maybe our snoring will be singing to God and our sleep, right, or things like that. We don't have to sleep in heaven, but you get the idea. If we have a problem with the church of Christ today, again, we have to ask ourselves, Lord, what's going on with my heart? If I'm constantly gossiping and accusing the brethren, ask yourself, who is the accuser of the brethren? Who am I acting like? On Wednesday, we'll talk about Balaam. And Balaam, when he pronounces this prophecy about the nation of Israel, God's people, he says, how beautiful are their tents. Look at how beautiful the church of Christ is. Look how beautiful each and every one of you are. That's the heart and mindset a Holy Spirit-filled person has. They don't come to the church talking garbage about other people or the church and all their failures. They come to church with love because that's what the Holy Spirit places in us. He continues in verse 41. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry? Or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you. Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away, red letters, the words of our loving Savior who gave his life for us, Beaten and bruised for my sin and my transgression, he says, and these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And again, that's the question here for you. Where will you go? Where will you go? Everlasting life or everlasting punishment? That decision we make today. We make that decision today who we will serve. So again, the first question how, you, how will you respond when you meet Jesus Christ face to face? Take that moment, right? Before the football game starts, before you do something later today. Take five, ten minutes and just meditate. Saying, Lord, how will I respond to you on that day? Take yourself to that place. At the end of the rapture, at the end of the seven years, at the end of the thousand years. Take yourself to that place when you meet him face to face. And is your heart filled with hope? 
filled with joy, filled with gladness? Or is there some fear right now? Some concern? I encourage you to come up front and pray. Pray with one of the pastors, worship team. You can come up. Again, as we close, how will you respond in that day? All you have to do is cry out to him. That's the great thing. There's a court in heaven and there's two options. Either we come to God and we say, God, I am guilty of my sins. I deserve hell. I am guilty as charged. And when we come to him and say, Lord, I'm guilty. I'll do whatever you want to do. Then we get to come in and through faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, Jesus, he's the one who died for me. He took my wrath. He took my pain. He took my punishment. Those three hours there on the cross, he took my eternal punishment so that if I die with him in this life, I can live with him eternally in heaven. But if we come to this courtroom and say, "Ah, it's not about Jesus Christ. I'm not that bad. Look at my church attendance. Look, I'm better than so-and-so. I'm better than this person. I'm better than that person. Again, this is what awaits for you. And the second thing to think about is, what will your life's work look like? That moment when all of your life's work is judged, what will it look like? What will remain? Will there be any regret? You could change that today. You look at Paul, you look at Saul, he made up for lost time. He said, Lord, I wasted so much of my life seeking this dead religion. Lord, from here on out, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to labor more abundantly than all of them and pour my life out for the cause of Christ. We can make those decisions today. We're not just stuck to the past. Christ, he wants to save you. He wants to bring you into him and change your life from here on out.